Welcome, everyone, to Lessons with Mike. It's another month, and it's time for everyone's favorite monthly thing that happens. Uh, that's right. It's the Mike and Jesse monthly movie recap. Hi, I'm Jesse. Yeah, that's Jesse. What movies have you seen this month, Jesse? I only saw one movie, Meg to the Trench. Meg to the Trench is a movie that released this year uh, starring Jason Statham, where he fights a shark. Yes. What did you see this year, Mike? Well, well not this year, this month. We'll get to that later. Tell us about Meg to the Trench. Oh, I thought, don't we usually just like say what we saw and then talk about it? Well, we're doing it differently this time. Keep the people in suspense. Oh, putting me on my toes here. All right. So, Meg to the Trench is a 2023 movie that is the sequel to the 2018 movie, The Meg, which The Meg itself is based off of a series of novels called The Meg by Steve Alton, who goes into like a lot of details about the story and all that. I've never read the books personally myself. I've heard a lot of good things about them. But honestly, going into Meg 2, I've kind of felt like it was going to be one of those just like splosh action flicks for a summer blockbuster movie. But there were some enjoyable moments in it, but at the same time, there was like some questionable scenes too. What do you mean by questionable? Okay, so there's... Now, I know the movie's not real realistic anyway because there's giant 75-plus foot sharks in it and a giant octopus in it, too. Well, realistically, uh, a shark that large could no longer survive in today's climate because, you know, the, the, the chemistry of the water has changed in such a way. I mean, even other creatures, the coral is dying at an alarming rate because of the increased acidity. Acidity? You know what I'm saying? Acidity. Acidity, that's the word, thank you. Because the increased acidity of the water and other chemicals in the water that are changing over time, uh, it's just not looking good for a lot of marine life, unfortunately. So I'm skeptical that a a fish, because remember, uh, whales are not fish, they are mammals. Uh, But I'm skeptical that in today's present oceanic climate that a fish of that size and that magnitude could survive. And I'm also very skeptical of the behaviors exhibited by these fish in the movie of those being realistic behaviors. I'm no, I, I've never seen the movies, but from the clips I've seen, uh, there's increased aggression, uh, increased predation towards humans, which, you know, if the creature is bigger, might make sense. But uh, it's just, uh, I don't know, the, 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 it doesn't seem realistic to me. I mean, especially if you're an animal that large, going after humans is not going to fulfill your caloric needs as a predator. You're going to go want to go after like fin whales, pilot whales, maybe even beluga whales. I think even killer whales might be an option, although they killer whales might put up some sort of defensive attack. A blue whale, its only main defense is its size and how large it is. But with a 75, 80 foot long shark, you could you know swim up to it, especially if they hunt in packs. I feel like they should be doing that instead. So I, I'm skeptical the behavior of these animals is realistic. Yeah, I'm just going to piggy up, piggyback on your point and say that a lone megalodon could not take on a pot of orcas. A you know, lone orca, well, maybe, but definitely not a pot of orcas. How many orcas are in a pod, typically? It varies by about, but a pod of orcas are probably the most dangerous thing in the ocean. Well, yeah, but like how many of them are there? It's, var- it's a various number. Okay, so let's say let's say 12 orcas. Is that a reasonable number? Yes. Okay, so how big is an orca? Like a fully grown one? I think they max at around 33 feet. Okay, so the megalodon is like way bigger than an orca. Yeah, megalodons on average from the fossil record seem to be like in the high 50s, low 60 feet range. 
Well, what's interesting is there aren't many fossil records to begin with because a megalodon, like most sharks, are primarily made of cartilage and not bone matter. So in terms of bone matter, all you really have to work with major- the majority of the time are the jaws and the teeth. Exactly, which is where they base size estimates off of these creatures. I'm sure the size estimates are accurate, but but still, maybe megalodons were just some weird little abomination that had giant-ass mouths and nothing else. Imagine just walking or swimming in the ocean, and you just see a creature, and it's all just a jaw. Nothing else, just a jaw full of teeth just swimming by. I mean, for all we know, the megalodon's jaw could be, you know, a distraction mechanism or a form of mating. It could just be a really small, tiny fish with a giant mouth. Uh, it's probably unlikely, though. It probably yeah, is actually probably biologically unlikely for that to happen. Yeah, I don't really see any evolutionary benefits to that. So, anyway, tell me more about the Meg. Do you have any other thoughts? Before yes. We move on? Yes. So, what I was trying to get at before we went on a little side tangent was that there's this one ridiculous scene in the movie where the main character there and some other characters are like stuck on a under on an underwater mining facility, which is like some sort of plot details that are more explained in the movie but anyway the main character decides that there's some problem on the inside that needs to be fixed on the outside so what he decides to do is is basically there's this thing where if you just blow out all of the air from your from your head out of your nose you could breathe underwater extra for a little bit but the funny what? thing no, no 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 but the funny thing about this is you're like at least 30,000 feet underwater. As soon as you get outside of your little operation, you're going to be immediately crushed by the water pressure. Now, granted, what I had said earlier was there's already giant sharks and a giant octopus in this movie, so the movie's not going to be that realistic, but I just thought that was just hilarious. Well, I think realistically, an octopus could reach greater heights than a fish because an octopus is an invertebrate. Right, and and I know it's I know with arthropods like some arthropods they don't gr- they don't stop growing until they die, and I think some reptiles were like that too. Well, if we're talking about octopuses versus squids, octopuses generally have a shorter lifespan than squids, as far as I can tell, because an octopus will usually lay eggs and then die, or at least the Greater Pacific octopus will. I'm not super well versed on the uh, gestational habits of other species of octopi or a cephalopi. Or is, I guess the plural cephalopods, cephalopods. not cephalopi. Anyway, before we get bogged down into a deep discussion on marine life, the first movie I saw for the month of October was the 2022 film The Menu. Tell us more about what's on The Menu. Uh, the Menu is a very interesting film starring uh, Ralph 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 Feinze. Uh, apparently is how you pronounce it, according to Wikipedia, Ralph Fiennes. Uh, he played Voldemort in the Harry Potter films, and he was also in some other films as well that I uh, remember but don't remember at the time. And it's a very interesting film. He plays a very popular celebrity chef who owns this very exclusive restaurant. You have to go on a boat and pay this exorbitant sum of money, and the boat will ferry you to his restaurant where he serves a delicious meal, a course of meals, uh, over the course of the evening. Mm-hmm. And uh, the chef is growing ever more dissatisfied with his work. So for what he does is he has the group of people come over. He selects it. He plans this all very meticulously. And over the course of the dinner, uh, the the items served get more and more ridiculous. And eventually it turns out that uh, his whole point is to kill everyone there. 
Mm-hmm. It's a very interesting film, also starring Nicholas Holt, Anya Taylor-Joy, John Leguizamo, and some other actors as well. And there's a very all, all kinds of subtext in there. I didn't really know anything about it going into it, but uh, my favorite part of the film is when Anya Taylor-Joy's character, she's wandering around doing some investigation, and she finds on his uh, in the office of the head chef uh, a photo of him at his first ever job at a minimum wage position at some random cheeseburger place. He's happy. He's smiling because he's got a cheeseburger. And then she goes to the chef and she says, this food sucks. I want a cheeseburger. And the chef makes her a cheeseburger. And he's so happy making that because that's what he lost over the course of his life as the chef. He no longer enjoys making food because of all the complexities that go into it. It becomes something beyond just making you happy. You overanalyze everything. And I think one of the themes of the film is we overanalyze experiences to the point that we lose all enjoyment of them. Uh, if like, like what we're doing right now in a way. We're analyzing our experiences from watching movies, but we're doing it after the fact. Imagine doing this while consuming a movie, pausing the movie every two seconds to take notes and just overanalyzing and critiquing every single segment of the movie, the YouTube channel CinemaSins does this. And I, as a child, I used to think it was a very entertaining form of media, but it really is just criticism. Cinema and Wins is better. Cinema Wins does sound better. Uh, I, I've seen a few of those, and I just don't have the time to watch 30-minute-long YouTube videos regularly every day like I did when I was in high school. Uh, yeah, but... You lose all enjoyment. You like you can you can spend hours de- diving into any any piece of media, looking for things to critique, and you will lose all enjoyment. It's likewise, if you spend all your time focusing in preparation, uh, whether whether you're a chef or an artist of some sort or a musician, you're going to lose your enjoyment. You're going to spend so much time crafting the product to meet all these arbitrary guidelines that other people have set forward, and you'll lose all the enjoyment, and you'll lose yourself in the process. And in 30 years, you'll go crazy and murder a bunch of people. Mm. Whether they deserved it or not is not relevant in the case of the movie. I thought it was very strange. Because his whole supporters, they established like a cult-like reverence toward the head chef. And some of his choices I found very questionable. Uh, All these people were so willing to die for the head chef. And it's an interesting film. Uh, Adam McKay uh, produced the film. He also produced other films. Uh, I believe Vice was one of the films. Let's just take a quick look at his filmography. and find. Yeah, Vice and Don't Look Up. He was the director for both of those. I thought those were interesting. Uh, interesting films uh the big short i haven't seen that yet but i hear that's good but yeah the menu i liked it uh there's some mixed messages in there there's some interesting interesting messaging in there and i think you should watch it just because it's entertaining and uh my favorite scene in the movie this is an incredibly heavy spoiler that i'm not going to share because it would ruin the experience for you uh but a certain character throughout the whole movie is such a jerk to his date uh and he's just such a jerk the whole time. Uh, and he's so obsessed with the chef. He's like, oh, I've studied this chef for years. I want to be just like him. And at one point, the chef uh, tells him to cook a meal. And it, it is just really, really funny and humorous. And uh, I, I really enjoyed that sequence a lot. No spoilers for, or details about what happens in that sequence. But I think you should definitely watch the film, uh, Jesse. And as well as those listening, you should watch the film. Do you have any questions about the menu before we move on? Uh, is there a scene in the movie where they're all presented just a giant menu of food? What? No. <laughs> Jesse, 
it's a fancy dining establishment. So it's like multiple courses in a meal, right? Right. So I was just wondering a- if there was like a scene in the movie where they get like a menu of items. No, it's there's no physical menu. If you go to these fancy restaurants, uh, the menu isn't really a, a, an option of choices. It's more like a list of what's happening in these fancy restaurants. Like it's not like a McDonald's menu where you choose what you want. Uh, in many of these fancy restaurants, they have a daily menu. And the daily menu is just like, okay, the first course is this. The second course is this. The third course will be such and such. Uh, right. Menu- Exclusively, exquisitely prepared, painstakingly calculated to fit the individual tastes and whatnot. It's one of these really crazy experiences that you can only afford if you pay ridiculous amounts of money. And ethical qualms with this. You're paying ridiculous amounts of money to eat really silly food. Uh, like one of the menu items is like... Make by uh, yourself. What? That you could, if you had the right stuff, ingredients, make by yourself. Well, also probably are... not as good. Yeah, there are special ingredients involved, but these fancy gourmet dishes just seem really silly to me, like uh, like moss on a rock that was grown in the harbor. Like, no, I don't want to eat grass or moss and pay ridiculous amounts of money for it. Uh, it just seems silly to me. Uh, it seems tacky. It's like a gimmick, really, and I don't like paying for gimmicks involving food. Mm-hmm. But it was a good movie. I really enjoyed the performances, uh, the heart of the movie. Uh, I really enjoyed... A lot of the uh, the twists with the menu items, thought those were very creative. Uh, I, I missed, I probably missed a lot of the big picture meanings because I was just, it was just really, really interesting. I just kept noticing and critiquing things throughout the whole film. Little, little things I thought that just seemed so strange. Like this head chef is somehow revered almost as a godlike figure by his employees and even by other people that outside of the restaurant. Several of the characters are uh, food critics Several of the characters are just, they just, they show up and you think they have no relation to the chef. And it turns out that they love and admire the chef for whatever reason. But anyway, we're going to move on to the next film I saw. That was the 2008 film Tropic Thunder. I've seen only like the first 15 minutes of it in like a hotel with some people. I know. They turned the channel. Why would they do that? I don't know. Hadn't rewatched it since. Well, for years, I'd only seen the first few minutes uh, where it goes through the fake trailers of various films. Uh, and then I finally did watch the whole movie. I really enjoyed it. I thought it was really hilarious. And I thought it was a very thought-provoking film. Uh, I thought it was really funny. Tom Cruise's character was my favorite part of the movie. He was hilarious. And it didn't make any sense. And that was part of the uh, the attribution to it. Uh, for, if you're not familiar with the film, listeners, uh, Tropic Thunder is a film... Uh, starring Robert Downey Jr., Ben Stiller, Jack Black, and, and other characters. But those three principally principally pay, play a group of actors working on a movie about the Vietnam War. Uh, ben Stiller plays an actor who has starred in several action movies over the years, and at this point in his career is being considered a little, a little washed up. Jack Black's character plays an actor primarily known for a comedy franchise who wants to break into something a little more serious. And Robert Downey Jr.'s character plays Kirk Lazarus, a very successful actor at this point who is known for getting really involved into his characters, similar to Daniel Day-Lewis or as a real world, real world example to compare him to. But he takes to the extreme and the character Kirk Lazarus actually does cosmetic surgery to darken his skin and so he can portray the role of the black of a black man in this film that he's playing. And there's another, there's an actual real, it's very, 
uh, very interesting. Uh, some people would consider this blackface. Some people would consider, you know, an art form or entertainment. It's interesting, but I don't remember ever there any, anyone ever being upset or outraged about this. Uh, I thought it was kind of funny, a little bit of an odd choice, but I thought it was funny. And uh, as a way to explore the character going into his method acting a little too far as a bit of a satire on method acting, I thought that was funny because some of these method actors, I think, are just strange. Uh, Jared Leto, for example, he would like mail what would he do? He'd like mail everyone dead rats on the set of the Suicide Squad. Do you remember that? I do, yes. I just looked it up. Jared Leto said he never sent a dead rat. Dun, mm. dun, dun. Uh-oh. So maybe that never actually happened. Who knows? Yeah, anything happens these days. But then Viola Davis says it did happen. This is just full of twists and turns. Who knows if it happened or not? One of the great mysteries of Hollywood. But yeah, like, but some of these people will get really into their roles. And it's like, you don't need to do that. You don't need to become the character because you aren't actually that character. You are portraying a character. You're pretending to be that person while you're not actually that person. And I think, you know, you're really, you know, lending yourself to uncomfortable realities and negative impacts to your mental health. And among other things, which make it very, like Leonardo DiCaprio, he actually ate raw bison liver for The Revenant, which, you know, he really got into it. But you could argue it was unnecessary to deliver a very good performance. Like raw bison liver doesn't sound very tasty. And I'm very skeptical of any nutritional benefits that could be gained from consuming raw bison liver. Also, how was this bison liver obtained? Was it ethically sourced? Did you kill a bison on the set of production to, for your own, you know, self-aggrandizement for your own purposes like what it doesn't seem doesn't seem reasonable to me uh that's certainly not something i would do if i was an actor but you could argue that that is why i will never be a successful actor because i'm not willing to you know consume raw bison liver for a role yeah i think it just depends on what role it is you're doing and that some method acting might go a little too far especially the strain on the person doing the method acting Mm -hmm. some people have said that uh heath ledger playing the joker really upset him some people have said that this contributed to his uh, his his death and some decisions that were made in his life because the role was such a dark a dark role uh, I, i'm skeptical of how true that is but i have heard some people say it i'll have to do some more research to discover if there's any truth to this but uh yeah no tropic thunder i thought was really funny a lot of a lot of uh, a lot of actors are in it uh, bill Hader is in it matthew mcconaughey is in it it's a tom cruise uh, it plays an executive uh, and it's just very funny. So the plot of the movie is all three of the actors that I mentioned earlier. They're trying to make a movie about the uh, a, a Vietnam War book. And plot twist, it turns out the actual uh, survivor who wrote the Vietnam War book made it all up. And uh, that was funny because at the very start, uh, they were, there was a little title crawl on the screen that said, uh, X amount of books have been made about this, but only one of those books was offered a movie deal. And I just find that humorous that it turns out that they picked the story that ended up being fake, which goes back to war movies in general. I don't know if you're familiar with Hacksaw Ridge. I am, but I haven't seen it. There were some scenes in the movie that were so unrealistic to me. Like there was one scene I was like, there is no way that this is actually realistic. The scene in question is when a soldier picks up a dead body and uses that as the human shield as he charges through and continues to shoot other people. And I thought, 
that doesn't seem like a thing a human being could do. That seems very challenging. But after doing some research, that definitely that happened. And when you're in that state of adrenaline, you know, you can do seemingly superhuman feats like, you know, picking up a recently deceased body that weighs well over 150 pounds with all the gear that it has while carrying a large amount of gear on you yourself, charging forward into battle at full speed while while carrying someone's body. I mean, doesn't seem like something I'd be able to do, but you know, if you're trained, if you're in that adrenaline rush, you can have, and Mel Gibson had even said that things seemed so unrealistic that he actually had to tone down to make it more believable because the reality is uh, crazy things happen that just boggle the mind. You know, reality is, is stranger than fiction is what, you know, that's a common saying that people have said. Hmm. Yeah. There's just, I think it just depends on like what war movie you watch too. So, but I just thought that was an interesting parallel. Anyway, moving on to the third movie and final movie I watched for the month, the 1985 version of Brewster's Millions. Are you familiar with this? I'm not. No, you got to tell me more. So Brewster's Millions is a story that was written sometime in the past, and there have been several adaptations of it over throughout the years. Uh, It's basically a story about a guy. I'm not sure if it is similar in all adaptations, but in the adaptation I watched starring Richard Pryor, Brewster is a minor league baseball player who is really getting up there in age for the sport. And he's really wanting to make the major leagues and, you know, he doesn't and he's running out of time and he doesn't really have any money or any, you know, major goals or accomplishments. Uh, But one of his relatives he didn't even know about dies and calls him up and says, Brewster, you are a failure. So uh, I'm going to give you a challenge. If you can spend $30 million in 30 days, then you will inherit $300 million. So the whole point, uh, but if he's unable to spend the $30 million, then he loses all the money and gets nothing. There are a few rules to the challenge, however. He can only give away a certain portion. He can only gamble away a certain portion. He's, when he, he's allowed to hire as many people as he wants, but he can't pay them exorbitant amounts of money. He actually has to get something for their services. And he is not allowed to have any assets at the end of this because that counts as money. He has to be totally broke at the end of the challenge. In addition to that, he is not allowed to destroy anything inherently valuable. Go on. That that was I was telling you the rules. There's the rules. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. So Brewster accepts the challenge, and he can't tell anyone either. So he accepts the challenge, and... Uh, you know, I expected the movie to be a lot funnier than it was. The version I watched uh, starred Richard Pryor as Brewster, like I said. Also in the movie was John Candy, who was a very comedic actor in the late 80s, 90s. Unfortunately, he passed away in 1994. But uh, everything I've seen him in, he's been incredibly funny. Even this, yeah, I think he was the funniest part of the film. But uh, I think the rating really held the film back. They couldn't. There was a, a problem making a lot of, you know, because it, it wasn't rated R, so you couldn't do a lot of, you know, really adult style jokes i think i don't know if it was like a a child focused movie or what i couldn't really tell who the audience was for but there were a few laughs in the movie but brewster starts off hiring people paying them you know sums of money he goes into the bank and says oh no i have to pay you to keep my money here i don't want any interest because he has to be completely broke by the end of it i'm curious to see what that how because brewster didn't have any money going into the challenge so if Brewster already had, like, let's say Brewster had $2,000 and wasn't completely broke, would he have had to have spent the $2,000 as well and be completely broke by the end? Or could he have kept that? Who knows? I don't know. But 
he goes up to various people and says, I'll pay you five times your salary to quit your job and work for me as a, as a such and such, as a bodyguard, as a consultant. So he's going through that. He's doing all that. And uh, instead of, you know, buying a house or anything, he rents out a very fancy hotel for, you know, the month. And he rents out every room in the hotel to his friends uh, because he remember he can only he can only donate a certain portion of the money. Mm-hmm. And, you know, after all this time has passed, Brewster's become a bit of a celebrity, but his friends are starting to get concerned. They're saying, Brewster, you're spending so much money. We've hired this financial advisor for you. And uh, Brewster says, here's what we're going to do. We're going to there's this scheme. Uh, to take uh, an iceberg, put the iceberg on a boat, and then bring that iceberg to some starving, uh, dry desert area. And everyone thinks this is a dumb idea. But Brewster said, also thinks it's a dumb idea, but he thinks it's a way to lose some money. He invests millions of dollars into this scheme. He also bets uh, bets on all the long shot teams. Comes back though, his iceberg, uh, the iceberg scheme ended up making a huge bit of money, and all the bets he made somehow won. So at that point, he had made back all the money and wasn't really sure what to do. He also has an accountant uh, that was given to him in order to keep track of all the money he spent to make sure he really is completely broke by the end of it. The accountant is currently um, dating or married to someone, uh, I don't really remember the relationship, who works for the law firm with the lawyers. Now, the whole plot is this, right? If Brewster doesn't spend the $30 he doesn't get the 300 million larger sum. Instead, that 300 million larger sum would go to the law firm. I think it was a law firm. But anyway, long story short, I don't want to get too bogged down to the details because I don't really think the film is worth your time. Uh, Because, you know, it really wasn't that funny. It was an interesting uh, movie, but not really as good. I saw a clip from TikTok, and that's, uh, that's why I wanted to watch it. Uh, and I found, you know, it was advertised as being free on YouTube with ads. And uh, what, what really is free with YouTube uh, on YouTube with ads is one of the 1940s or 1950s versions of the, of the story, which I did not want to watch because uh, I find it very difficult for me to to watch older movies like that. I don't have the attention span for them. But, uh, yeah, so. Uh, in the end, you know, things happen, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, the lawyer who's working with Brewster, but also working for the law firm, he, you know, takes $20,000 and, you know, uh, returns some furniture that Brewster had bought and then, you know, keeps the money and doesn't tell Brewster. So that way, at the end of the challenge, when Brewster has spent all his money, it turns out, surprise, you still have $20,000. Oh, no, what's this? I still have $20,000. I've lost. But no, the accountant saves the day and says, wait, Brewster, you still have two minutes left. So Brewster gives the $20,000 to uh, his accountant lady pal and says, I'd like to use this money to hire you as my lawyer. And, and, and then the, the movie ends really abruptly. And I thought that it ended very abruptly. Like there was no scene of Brewster going back and telling all of his friends what the true purpose of him spending all of his money was. Uh, I don't know. I thought it was very strange. Jesse, have you ever heard of this story? No, I haven't. It sounds would... interesting, too, especially since there's an accountant involved in the movie, since I'm an accountant. That kind of, like, interests me. Okay. How would you spend $30 million in 30 days? Um, well, I'd probably want to, like, give it to some people that would need it more than me. And well, I'd that's prob- against the rules. You can only spend, you can only give away, I think, 5 or 10% of it. You have to uh, spend the majority of it. Oh, well, outside of giving that small percent away, I'd probably buy a large enough house. You can't do that. That's an asset. 
I guess, buy a lot of food and distribute it to the homeless. Oh, I guess you could technically do that under the rules because you're buying the food and you're not destroying it. That's an interesting loophole. I don't know how long it would take to to, to buy thirty million dollars worth of food and then give it and then distribute that food. Honestly, that's a, I've never thought of that. That's genius. You could hire people to distribute the food, hire people to purchase the food for you. You could walk up to someone and say, "Here's ten thousand dollars. I want you to take this ten thousand dollars, keep a small portion for all of your expenses, go purchase some food, and then distribute the food." You'd have to hire food trucks. You'd have to hire drivers and operators. This is genius, Jesse. And well, no, you could argue that that's an asset because doing all of that, you might have to legally file that you're doing charity work, which you would technically be an asset because that's taxed. Um, but it's not a fixed asset. That's true. Ooh, that's tough. You might. It depends on if you incorporate that as a business or not because you. Ooh, I don't know. I'll have to consider. You might have to do some shady cooking the books and outside the book stuff, but you could get by with it, maybe. I think so. I mean, I never thought of that. My plan on spending the $30 million would just be to rent a lot of properties. Uh, like maybe find a, maybe pay like, I don't know, like rent uh, the most expensive properties I could find. Like there's got to be a several properties out there that are, that are in the millions of dollars. And if I'm renting them on such short notice, I can pay up front and be like, hey, I'll pay an extra $200,000 to rent it right away. And I'll spend a night in space. I'll spend a night in the Marianas Trench, a night in the Grand Canyon. All these these properties have got to be expensive to rent. Oh. Uh, so I would work through that. And uh, what else would I do? Mm, I'd find a way to do it. Because you'd be spending a million dollars a day. It'd be tough. You'd have to really work. Th- you'd have to really work. You couldn't just, you know, half-ass it. You'd have to really work at it. But I think I could do it. Mm-hmm. I think also what I might do with a lot of that money also is like also invest in some property as well. And that is against the rules. That's you, an asset. You just said something about property. No, I said rent a property. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're allowed to rent a place, but you can't own anything. Like one thing he did was he bought a stamp for hundreds of thousands of dollars and then used it as postage. Mm-hmm. Which was really dumb. That'd be like me buying some of the most expensive coins ever and then using them to pay for something at face value. Uh, man, I'm, if that was a coin in the scene uh, instead of a stamp, I would have been upset. I'm sure any stamp collectors out there were furious that that happened. But Could you gamble on the money? There's uh, In the rules, you can gamble a percentage of it, yes. What if you were to gamble that percentage, but it turns out your winnings were even more than the money? According to the rules, you have to be broke by the end of the 30 days. Mm. Yeah. And I think also airfare travel could be expensive as well. Well, when you think about it, 30 million is a lot of money. A plane ticket round trip, even if you get first class seats, is only going to run you maybe, even if you get on flight service and everything, you're thinking maybe 2,500 max. It, let me just look actually most expensive plane ticket right now because maybe we can find a little loophole that way and you could maybe cheat it with using the international dateline uh that doesn't that actually seems possible but most expensive plane ticket $66,000 a one way flight on Etihad Airways from New York City to Abu Dhabi and just go fly back and forth after a week that actually seems feasible, yeah. 
what he did what he decided to do to spend the majority of his money was run for office uh because he spent all this money on political ads but he ended up becoming very close to winning and they told him hey if you win you'll get a salary and that counts as an asset so that we can't have you winning mm. interesting all right well this concludes uh, the movies i saw and that concludes the movie i saw but the good news is i've already have one movie for november yeah, I have one as well, and uh, we're super excited. Got some big things coming in for November, so everyone stay tuned. Stick around. More to come, as always. Yes. It's going to be a superhero one as well, so stay tuned. Oh, wow. I saw a superhero one also. As did I. All right, well, bye, everyone. All right, bye-bye.